0: Hello and welcome to episode one of our rugby series. We're super excited about this series. We're going to be speaking to lots of different personnel from lots of different countries to do with rugby. Today's episode, we're speaking to Christine Steinable, which is South Africa's uh, finest sevens player, aka SAF, um, and she's currently a mental skills coach.
1: We'd like to say a big thank you to the two brands who are supporting us on the podcast this series. So, that's regardless who do custom mouth guards. They send you a kit that you mold at home and send them to them. So, it's like a dental fit mouth guard without going to the dentist. It's a COVID dream. Um, we've got a discount code for them, which is WWS20. That'll get you 20% off there. And then Boob Armour, who I've stayed with us for another series. We absolutely love Boob Armour, as you guys already know. They create chest guards for female athletes. And for women who sport in Capital Letters, you can get a discount with them. And Scrum Bum have also given us a discount code as well, before I forget. They make like women's fit rugby shorts. We've both like worn them for training and stuff like They're such a dream. They really are so comfy. And it is WWSPC15, which gets you a 15% discount code there.
0: Let's get started. Into
1: news of the week, Bonds, what have you got for us?
0: Right. Okay. so first things first, had a cracking Women's Six Nations. At first, I was a bit sceptical of the Six Nations moving to like an isolated tournament in April. However, off the back of it, the amount of media exposure each of the teams and the unions have promoted the women's game, I think has been fantastic. And I think the better weather as well has really helped the game. It's it's kind of created a bit more fast paced you could probably comment on this better I have kind of enjoyed the the good grass the good quick ground that the good weather has provided um so all in all really
1: really impressed with it what do you think no I, I do agree like again I was like I think I was frustrated with just how late it was all announced it was three weeks before and as well like I could tell you the day of the first match in the Men's World Cup in 2023 but we didn't know when Scotland were playing England in the first match of the Six Nations till like a week before. That really annoyed me but actually I think you're right with the media coverage. I'd, we don't usually talk about Scottish rugby on this podcast, but their media coverage was awesome. Like, wow. yeah, every single day those videos of the girls—like, it was so so cool to see. And because we weren't playing, like, I just felt like a fan keeping up with the journey. Yeah,
0: <laughs> massively. I completely agree. You did like the videos that they released. I was living for a video each day. Yes, yeah, on
1: everyone. I loved it. <laughs> As well, I was like, I was like seeing a loss woman so Like, don't they look great? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, got in real so deep good. with the, the fan side of it and another thing that annoyed me was all the games from BBC iPlayer are so good but some of them the coverage was literally starting like four minutes before the match you turn it on it'd be like halfway through an anthem I want to watch anthems and cry
0: yeah no it you, really. yeah and also on that it's a bit of a missed opportunity to have pundits there bigging up the game also for those that are relatively new to the game or have just tuned in, it's quite nice to watch that pre-match commentary to, to get a bit of an insight to the team who's playing, a little bit of background and their build-up in the week. It just kind of adds that feel to it that, that you get when the games are on, on TV or when you kind of compare it to the men's game.
1: Yeah, totally agree. I think the standalone window was so good for media coverage, but yeah, I would have liked to see a lot more pre-match um, and yeah, just a lot more noticeable when the games are going to be which I'm sure would have happened had there been crowds and stuff
0: definitely and then my only other kind of wee nitpick is that I do think the original Six Nations format needs to stay I did love how there was a Super Saturday I thought that was class but speaking to the girls I think a lot of them miss not being able to play every single team and For a few nations, we don't get that many internationals in a year. So often the Six Nations is quite a really good opportunity to see where you're at, size yourself up against other teams. And with the format that we did have the Six Nations, we didn't manage to play every single team.
1: Totally agree with you there, Bonds. I think every team wants to play five games and we need to keep it as a full Six Nations format. But totally agreed that I loved Super Saturday. Like that was so much fun, like just having a day sitting on the couch all day, watching game after game
0: being a super fan, which was weird. Yeah. It was really weird to be watching and not
1: being with the girls. Oh, yeah, I thought of something else I liked. I really liked the socially distanced anthems because it meant Rachel Malcolm got a constant <laughs> solo, which I just absolutely love listening to.
0: Also, do you know who had a really big solo? Lana Skelton. Lana! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lana, one of the anthems. I was like, go on, gal.
1: <laughs> oh, no, it was brilliant. Loved it. So keep socially distanced anthems for the... Comedy value, play more games, keep the sand alone window.
0: Like it, I love it. Sweet, right, let's get into our episode Girl,
2: gotta hold your head up high Don't let this moment pass you by You can be anything you believe you can be Girl, this is waiting just for
0: you So go and shine and live the truth I believe you can okay, be. so you were originally a cricket player um, and transferred to rugby later on in your sporting career. Well, when I say later on, in a conventional sporting sense. Um, was cricket predominantly your sport growing up?
2: Yeah, um, I did many sports. Obviously, when you're young, you go through a lot of things. So um, the predominant things were like cross country, uh, 1,500 metres, um, pentathlon for a while in heptaflons, um, but at that same time, the cricket started going well, or I started being more interested in, in cricket. So all the athletics kind of just dulled away. And yeah, you know, that's also also when I moved to England, the cricket started being more of a thing, because in South Africa at that time, 2003, it, it wasn't really a thing for women to have cricket clubs or provinces or anything. So when I got to England, there I was like playing with the boys in a place called Ashover. So I kind of kicked off from there, really.
0: Yeah, I quite like that in cricket, well, to be fair, a lot of team sports and um, that are predominantly male, you kind of have that mixed-gendered um session and trainings growing up. How do you think that impacted you as a player?
2: Well, I think massively uh if you I encourage young girls, um, if they come and chat to me or you know, like we meet them, uh meet and greets and things, I always encourage the parents or the people who actually ask all the questions like where can my daughter play um she's getting too old to play with the boys now the teacher's not letting her play anymore um so but i always encourage them to look for other clubs and other places um and i actually just go and do my, my own research for them because the you'll know with cricket as well like Lauren plays plays with the men and you can see a clear difference in in skill and aptitude for the game um if you play with the boys because everything's a bit quicker comes a bit harder at you and it's the same in rugby as well so you can see a clear difference in that just the level of skill and thinking and reaction and everything so I, I think it makes a huge difference to get involved with boys from a young age definitely a good thing
0: yeah, no, I agree. Like we've had a few training sessions at camp before and we've had lads come in to just run D or run attack. And oh my God, the speed of it, like goes through the roof, it's mental.
2: Oh, it's crazy. We um we also play or used to play with the, with the seventh boys, get a run through and obviously they get told, listen, you know, it's not full on. And then, but the goals we go like full on but we can defend them structurally and you know, they can't get through. But once they have the ball, we still have like, no chance whatsoever. Like, they are so quick and so agile. So if you train with that that type of, in, in that environment, like, you're you're naturally going to take that into your women's game. You're going to be, like, just that 1% above.
0: Yeah. So it kind of brings us yeah, on to our it. next question. Um, at what point did you then decide, actually, I want to give rugby a go, and, and why rugby?
2: Well, you know, going from cricket where I'm wearing a helmet, gloves, thigh pad pads you know literally all the gear you can imagine to protect myself to a sport with no protection just the gum god um it was yeah it, it was your i think maybe 2010 or 11 and i was supporting the girls like jess and everyone playing 15s at loughborough and it was alumni um bath versus loughborough and somewhere along the line there was an injury in the bath Team and they had no players to replace, and then they were just like, you know, Saf, come over here. And I was like, "Uh, no, I'm good. And then eventually, I found myself in some rugby shorts in someone's boots and socks. Imagine. Um, And yeah, I was running like across across the whole field. I I was so scared of going forward. I was just like, meh. (laughs) Um, Scored a try. Beth Newton creamed me over the try line. I was, I like literally knocked my breath out. And I was like, what is this? Like, what is this sport? Who does this? Um, but, yeah, then I then I went to a training session. I started loving it. The more aggressive it got, the more I got into it. So then they needed another player for another game, Loughborough um, football, like Rugby Football Club. So I joined their awful game. Jess cut half a knee off on something on the field. It was muddy. We couldn't see anything. Everyone was brown. But, yeah, that obviously made me decide, yeah, I'm, I'm cut out for this. So I'm going to give this a shot. So it kind of started there. So your first game of
1: rugby was at Loughborough uni for Bath uni yes <laughs> that is brilliant
2: yeah. and, and I scored against Loughborough and also when it got to fines I got fined for scoring against my own university and fined by Bath for scoring against my own university for them I was like yeah great good, good night yeah
0: <laughs> that is actually why is so great because in no other sport would that happen
2: absolutely and it was Safe to say, like that's the only thing I remember from the rest for the rest of the night as well. So good job, fun fun memories.
0: So, at what point did you then think, right, okay, so playing rugby is going quite well. Uh, I think I could play from a country.
2: Oh, uh, well, actually, from a young age, I just. I didn't want to do education. I wanted to do sport. And then I got older and it was the same thing, but obviously now you have more of a brain or like you think a little bit more about life. And I was like, I know I don't want to go into a full-time job and just teach or because my whole family is teachers, mom, dad, brother, you know, cousins. And I'm, I'm just like, that's the last thing I want to do, like go into a nine to five. And I always had this feeling more, more than a thought. It was more than a, more a feeling that there's something more I want and I don't know what it is. And then I got a scholarship to go to Loughborough for cricket and join the MCC like, Academy there. And then I started thinking, well, this is this could go somewhere because it's pretty much the feeding system for the England team. However, I was foreign. So there's also that you know issue of will I ever be able to represent unless I'm a resident? Um, but I still pushed for it. So there it became an idea to represent in cricket, maybe for England, who knew? Because my plan was, obviously, to stay there forever. Um, and then with the rugby, it only became an idea to maybe re- be able to represent my country, uh, I think, when I came to South Africa. Because I know we played sevens then, I know we played 15s, but I, we never were in the Prem there, or I never played for a Prem club. So there was obviously chat for it. I know Leitchfield talked to me about going there at the time, and things like that. but. Um, then I had to come here, and yeah, this it kind of just happened really quickly. I, I landed here in June or July 2015, and in November, we had sevens. Um, it's not trials. It's like a m- massive um, provincial tournament, and there was some like Springbok um, coaches to scout, and little did I know who they were, obviously, so they just – got a group of 25 girls to the next weekend, go to Stellenbosch to train with the Springbok girls. And that's where I was like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe this could be a thing. And I would absolutely love it. Who would have thought it would be rugby, but I haven't actually missed cricket in the time. So I was like, definitely the right sport at the right time for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, you mentioned a bit about uh, growing up in South Africa and your move over to the UK. Um, so you are born and raised South African, you moved over at quite a young age. Can you tell us a bit about this?
2: Yeah, born in a little mining town called Vidbank. Um, just a quick story. Yeah. So when I was young, we moved, right? So I was like, you know, don't really know much about where I live, just where I live. That's what I know. So then when I moved back to South Africa and people were like, where are you from? I was like, oh, Vidbank. And then I get this reaction every time. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean? Later on, I find out, not like, you know, because I was like, what does this mean? And they were like, oh, it's a dodgy place. I was like, oh, great. So, you know, so I'm from like a little dodgy mining town called Vidbunk. Um, and then when I was 12 years old, we moved to England, moved to a less dodgy place, I'm not sure, Chesterfield? little cobbled down. dodgy. <laughs> you know, we love those types of towns, clearly. Um, so moved there, uh, went to high school there, um, yeah, and then, and then Loughborough, and yeah, that's that's basically the journey. And in 2015, I had to make a decision uh, to either fight for my visa and continue to stay there, which has already been an ongoing process for four years, um, like unsuccessfully, or just to come back and, like, move my whole life back here again and see what happens. So made the decision to come back and, yeah, like, kind of, you know, ended up being... A really good decision that I dreaded for so long so I'm really happy with with the journey but obviously not ideal to pack your bags like so often and, and move around
0: yeah and like through that difficult time like I remember it so well going through like the visa applications and it was just a bit of a shitstorm. was rugby like a bit yeah. of a release from that and was rugby a vehicle that you used to just help you get through that
2: time oh 100% like Sport has always been my our, my go-to, like my safe haven, um, to my detriment as well, which we might get to later. But definitely at the time, I, had, I couldn't work because once your visa application is in for processing, you're, you're illegal. So you can't work. You have no status to work or study. So that's why I could never finish my degree either. So I was there just floating around. And m- for me as a human being, I don't operate well, having nothing to do. I'm always like, let's do let's do let's get let's be productive like I would rather clean my house than you know not have anything to do so at that stage rugby was the perfect outlet it was it was more local to the cricket I was playing at the time which was in um, Warwickshire so in terms of that as well it was more like I was able to get there more regularly I was able to um, escape as well and at the same time I was feeding feeling my passion as well like sport and being active and all of that. So it's a massive escape and massive um, vehicle for actually keeping me healthy, like mind-wise and physically as well, (laughs) definitely, yeah.
1: So did you, so you came over to, well, started your degree at Loughborough as a cricket player, started playing, were you doing rugby and cricket at the same time for a little bit there?
2: Oh, hell no. Like (laughs) When you're in the academy, you're not allowed to do any other sport. So um, not because, just not because that's strictly the rule it's just for you know safety and injuries and all of that they you're in the program for a reason they're paying for your education so don't go and mess around with with other things like rugby that you're obviously more likely to get injured so um it was difficult um but then at, after the two years of studying and then the visa things happening um obviously I was then able to like fully just get involved with the rugby as I wanted to
1: so despite like living in the UK from when you were 12, you weren't able to finish your degree at Loughborough because of this visa stuff. God, yeah, that is crazy. Years.
2: Yeah, no, so still bad. to this day, I'm like I'm like, high national diploma advocate.
1: But <laughs> that's mad.
0: It is really yeah, tough. Yeah. Like, I don't mean to bring gender into this, but I can't help but feel that at the level you were playing rugby at like such an early age into your rugby career, if you like, as a lad, clubs would have would have had the financial ability to probably help you out and even get you over on a sports visa, visa, for example.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was just that make or break time because I remember we had those, what, you, what is it called? In cricket it's called like super fours or super... I don't know what they call it now. Um, But there were some rugby trials, sevens rugby trials, um, regional trials or something. And I remember it was going really well. And then I got invited to the next one. But by the end of the next like sevens trials, um, I remember being there and then I had to leave like two days later. So whether I was able to go further with it or not, I wasn't going to be here. So in that sense, it's like, yes it's going well but you're not you're not actually selected for anything really in the realm of it but maybe if you had a solid spot you could talk about getting some help um by by pushing the visa maybe there's people they know but at that stage it was still yeah, you know, i was still like in the unknown zone i guess yeah
0: and yeah. with yeah. your experiences from playing sport at a high level in the UK, and now obviously internationally for South Africa. Like, what is the differences in the sporting setups and pathways within the two countries?
2: Oh, it's very different. It's so different. Um, like, like I mentioned back in 2003, we, I only just played cricket for a team, for a women's team for maybe five months before we left or six months. Um, and it was unheard of, it's not really a thing, and there's no funding for it. Um, and then I moved moved to England and there's so many school sports systems, um, recreational and higher as you go up through through to university. And then I got to uni and there's women's cricket teams and, ac- and academies and there's rugby like teams as well from young age. Um, what's that sports college that you guys have over there? where, like, uh, Amy and everyone was... Oh, uh, yeah. College. So, like, yeah, Harper College. And I was like, what? Like, it's so different. It's so so much easier to get into something. It's so much easier to be upskilled by the time you get to a certain level. Um, whereas in South Africa, we're basically clutching at straws. Um, for ta- Not for talent. We have the talent. But there's no feeding system. So there's no rugby in schools for, for goals. There's no... The universities are getting there, but it's at a very low level. And um, we also don't really have the quality of coaches to really coach how we need it to be coached, if that makes sense. And so when you get to... I always use this and it it, it might sound off, but like it wasn't difficult for me to get into the spring walk women's setup because I literally landed in South Africa, played one tournament, went to um, like a trial camp, and then, then I got invited back to go to a tournament the next April, and then, then I was full-time since then. So it, it wasn't difficult to get in, but it's difficult to stay, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah. Because we don't have the resources to, to fund academies. We don't have the resources to get into schools and to get coaches and to upskill coaches. And so you kind of have this huge gap from either you have played with your brother in the garden and then you end up in the Springbok team, or you pick the ball up six months ago at university and you're in the Springbok women's team. Like there's nothing, in, there's nothing in between or either side of that. So it's very, it's very different. But on that note, I'm super excited that we have Lynn Cantwell coming to South Africa. And um, she's been kind of employed as our high-performance women's manager now for South Africa women's rugby. So that's gonna be amazing. She's obviously coming from Ireland and I've been chatting to her, and she's got some really good things that she wants to change and adapt, and I think we need a woman to come from a country who's still developing as well, but have made a lot of progress in the last five years to come and deliver that knowledge and bring it to South Africa.
0: Yeah, that is a really good like technique, I think, to develop the women's game globally for sure
2: definitely yeah.
1: That actually takes us really nicely to what we're going to chat about next, which was you making your debut with the South Africa Sevens team. So what was that first tournament that you played at?
2: Oh, it's such a funny one because, like, we played in a lot of social tournaments. So you wear the jersey, but it doesn't count as a cap. Um, So I first went to Hong Kong in 2016 with the girls, but it doesn't count as a cap. So my first cap would be in Dubai, which is a great tournament to get your first cap. Um... And yeah, I can I can remember. I didn't play much at the time, but when I did play, I was absolutely exhausted. I thought I was gonna die, like within the first two minutes of being on the field, or the only two minutes I was on the field. I was like, I think I'm dying. I think I'm dying. Like, peace out. Um, and there were so many times, I question. I was like, Am I cut out for this? Did I did I misinterpret my life here? Like, what's going on? I don't know. But yeah, so Dubai was definitely one of the standout moments. Um and then every time after that, it's always a special tournament where you get your your first cap, I think.
1: Yeah, Vice sevens is a pretty cool place to like make your full international debut. I'm surprised that um was that Hong Kong Sevens? Yeah. Like the and I'm surprised that wasn't a cap in the was that a World Series qualifier.
2: Um so that year it wasn't. I can't remember oh, okay. um well, is it the World Cup year or the, no, it's the Olympic year. That would that, have been that, Olympic that year, yeah. Yeah, so unfortunately, because we, we won that tournament, but then we haven't been able to win ever since. Every, every time it's a qualifier, we come second. So we can never get onto the World Circle. It's such a shame.
1: Yeah, no, I know the yeah. heartbreak of coming, like I came second at Hong Kong Sevens with Scotland and it's, yeah, it's like some journey home, like kind of reflected on that. Um, but I'm like staying hopeful that they're going to, open up the World Series to 16 teams at some point. And then, yeah, I think yeah. It, it'd be happy days for a couple more countries.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> like there's just, the the gap is getting too big now. Like they have this amazing circuit for the women. It, it you know, pre COVID it was like, you know, they were adding more, more destinations and whatever. It's great, it's growing. But the gap between, you know, that last team on the circuit versus the people below, it's just going like this. Um, so there needs to be an intervention to just close it up and make it a little bit more competitive there, I reckon. I don't know what you think. Oh, no, agreed. And like
1: when we, so we played B-Rit Sevens as a, like that was the World Series like that we were invited to and beat Ireland in the last game, almost beat England. Like we had some really good results. And I'm like, if you open that up to four more teams, you have four more teams that are actually training full-time and getting regular tournaments. Yeah. Like I think it could be competitive, but right now there is a ceiling on... The growth of the women's game because yeah they've only got 12 teams
2: yeah absolutely agree i think they're working on it but there's always a limited amount of funds for women like as much as we're getting supported and especially world rugby they are really supporting the women but we're still at a point where there's way less funding for women and, and it also it, it's up to the, the the national unions themselves as well does that make sense so i think world rugby is doing really well but as for someone like south african rugby sevens women our budget is so small, so even if we if it opens up and we we get a spot, we'll probably we'll probably get say for instance we get a spot on the circuit. We'll play one season, probably two tournaments, and we will have no players left because that's we have eight contracted players, maybe fourteen contracted, and the rest come in and out, which means the level of play you know the fourteen or the eight are here, but now we drop to here because these people can only get to here, so. We will never be able to stay there for more than two three years which i think is the experience you need to then become competitive with that bottom six almost and then you can aim high from there but those two three years are essential but for teams like south africa and whoever else who don't have the funding nationally you're going to struggle with the feeding systems that we don't have our bodies are going to break and then oh i'm sorry we're on the circuit but we can't send a team so there's a whole like, I don't know, this chat, I can geek out on this whole chat for ages, but there's so much more to be done, it's actually quite exciting.
1: Yeah, we just need to have this rant, like, off this call about all the things that have to be done. You know. (laughs) So, with the South Africa Sevens team, so, if you're comfortable talking about it, like, you guys have faced some political challenges in terms of qualifying for the Olympics, but your union not letting you go, have I got that right?
2: 100% correct. Yeah, again, it's just, um, like I said, challenges with your with your own national um, sports system. There was obviously some some um, kind of bullet points you have to fulfill to qualify. And, you know, it's very political in a sense. And I won't go too much into detail because I was part of the system and it's given me so much opportunity and, and growth and everything. Um, however, there's a lot of things that need to change, especially that because you qualify, and my heart broke for the girls. I was injured at the time they played um, in Tunisia and they won the tournament. And then this big qualification banner goes in front of Kenya and they're celebrating going to the Olympics but they came second. And our girls were stood there applauding them and just putting up a brave face because for the love of the game, like we're all supporting women and women need, need the platform. And I take my hat off to the girls because I was at home and my heart was breaking for myself, for the girls, for, for our system. Unless we get the opportunity to play there, we're never going to be like know what it feels like to be under that pressure, to perform under that pressure. So there's so many things that goes into it, but essentially, yes, for two Olympic cycles running, we've qualified, we've not been sent due to the criteria, according to our national union, that are not being fulfilled. So I will leave it at that, because going deeper into that will just, you know, bring things into it politically that I think not my place to talk about but yeah it's a tough one and also what I took from it is that resilience is key like the only thing that matters in the sport at the moment if you're a struggling country is results and my job now while I'm not playing is to figure out how to bridge that gap how do we get the results they want without the resources they allow us to do it so that's that's kind of my interest right now
1: I think that's, aside from the performing under pressure and performing at the Olympics, like the opportunity as an individual to be an Olympian and like the consequences that that can have on your, your life in such a positive way, like for that to be taken away from you is, yeah, like I imagine that must be extremely difficult to digest.
2: Oh, it's horrible. Like I even feel sick thinking about it now. Like it's, it, it will open up so many doors in South Africa alone for women to have the opportunity to step into bigger roles of of change. Um, but we don't get that opportunity, not as players, not as human beings. And we have a lot to give, like our system really, we're a diverse culture. So we had probably, let me just count, we have Afrikaans, English, we probably have about five or six different languages in our in our team. And that's a very diverse group of, of women that can be very influential in many different ways. And they can be the poster girls, poster girls, meaning figures of influence for other girls to get rugby where it needs to be. Because a lot of it's financial and a lot of the companies who want to sponsor or who don't want to sponsor, they all want to return. And at the moment, women's rugby is not giving any return for an investment, which makes sense because we're not seen anywhere because we're not allowed to go to things like the Olympics. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, like such a bad match 22. Yeah. Yeah. So there's obviously various elements that goes on in the background politically, but essentially as a human being as well, you, you're going to struggle to get out of that dip as well. And if you're not, if you don't have a mindset of falling forward, it's going to affect your performance. And then it's another cycle of struggle in the team and coaches trying to figure out what to do because it affects the coaches as well. Like, their plan that they've put up for the whole year, the conditioning plan, everything is planned out and we plan to win the qualifier and we and we win the qualifier. And then their plan also gets shut down. So it affects holistically everyone as well.
1: Like a quote that we, well, yeah, I found stock in your Instagram that we're going to bring up at the end, but just feels really relevant now is for when the I Am off champion was happening, you said, our greatest power as women in sport is the journey we walk the lessons we learn and how we shape a future for the next generation of phenomenal female athletes with those experiences we endured and I think yeah. for you I guess if, if in 12 years time you can look back and there's a South Africa sevens team at the Olympics represent and like that'll you'll know that you've paved the way for that to happen
2: oh I hope so I hope so um if I look at my short career with the Supreme Women Sevens, I wish it was longer, um, but I also hope that there is some influence because I now want to step into the back, the background of it, and I want to work with Lynn, hopefully, or get in there somewhere to work on the back stuff and like ask the tough questions to the right people um, in the right way because it doesn't help you storm through their lackable. And we need, we need more women in positions to lead to ask those type of questions and to push forward even though it's uncomfortable and yeah i hope that that we can look back and we don't expect to go to the olympics and, and podium like that's not going to happen for south africa women's rugby soon but as, if we can just get there and we can get that experience that's already like huge progress so i hope i hope I'm hoping the next eight years, we can see a massive difference. I, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna throw that in there, the next like eight years, um, that we can get the women on onto the Olympics. And just so they can they play their brand of rugby, that's all. No expectations, just give them the opportunity that they deserve.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's steps, small steps and success is defined in so many different ways, especially in women's rugby, when there's such varying levels of funding, like, for us to get to a world cup that is such a huge success for us to top a pool stage that was what we would deem like wow we've actually come a long way and hopefully in eight years time success will be a bit different and success might be actually getting into that world cup final but I completely agree with you yeah with kind of benchmarks and different benchmarks and what each nation would determine as their sort of successful point point
2: yeah, that and that's a huge difference. Like, so Africa is such a massive rugby country, and yes, the men, the men do amazing. I mean, we won the World Cup, but then they have these expectations for qualifying for the Olympics. That we're not going to send a team if you're not going to podium. Well, then we're never going to go to the Olympics. However, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, and edit this if I'm if I'm wrong. But Olympic one of Olympics um, values is participation. But
1: it is somewhere yeah.
2: somewhere. Right, And I'm like, somewhere, our union almost, like a lot of unions have I like completely missed the pot because it's participation. Yes, it's very competitive. Yes, everyone wants to win, um, but it's about participation. So the criteria shouldn't be about for a developing country. We're not even on the circuit. <laughs> and your criteria to qualify for the Olympics is you have to end sixth on the World Circuit. We're not even on the circuit. And you have to be able to position on a podium at the olympics then we're never going to go then you've strategically um criteriaed for us not to go because the funding would be too much and you'd rather send an individual 100 meter sprint athlete than 14 goals
1: that's when like so, I mean, the, yeah no it totally makes sense and that's when the olympics like there is like i'm not going to make it up so i don't know off the top of my head but there is like some mental stat about like x percent of olympic medals are won by like first world countries like it's There is a, I don't know what the word is, like an inequality issue there.
2: Yeah. I just think it's important for sports to align. So the ultimate goal for everyone is to go to either World Cup or Olympics. And if we're talking about the Olympics, one of their values is participation. And then your unions that trickle down completely, like, avoid that whatsoever. They're like, no we want results. Like... I don't know I don't I don't I don't really understand it I never will which is why I'm like part of the women we're going to change perceptions and like hopefully get people in places where that you know people just understand that you can't you can't have a main world event and then the branches underneath it is not about participation I don't know yeah but and you're right like with
1: yeah we'll stop like bashing this in a minute but for you guys as a team to say like look the South Africa like you're looking for sponsors like we've been to the olympics we did this at the olympics we're aiming to do better at the next olympic cycle like i think the olympics is just something that's recognized by people regardless of if they're into their rugby or not like people can appreciate that that's you know, something massive that you've achieved so for the girls not to be able yeah. to or, or to actually to have achieved that but then not be able to actually go and do it is yeah it just yeah. takes a lot of opportunity away from you
2: well get this so even said that we'll get sponsors and we'll fund ourselves, they were like no and then, so it happened to a lot of um, South African teams so like rowing men and women qualified, they're going to fund themselves they they got told no hockey men and women got told no we got told no there's there's quite a few women that got in touch with me personally and was like what can we do about it and whatever Um, and then somewhere along the line I think these people pulled together and took on the union, like Sascock, and um, they changed the rule. They then said hockey women can go, hockey men can go, rowing can go, but sevens women can't go. So there's so much behind the scenes that goes on that we can edit. But um, like, whether you're saying you'll, you'll fund yourself or not, for some reason they don't want to do it. So there's definitely like a, a perspective, a perception issue and a, willingness to support women in sport
1: that's yeah that's absolutely mad but yeah hopefully that's something that you can work to change in your new role yes
0: (laughs) okay so moving kind of off the pitch from rugby you've started going into a bit more of a high performance mindset and and looking at going into lifestyle management and things helping other athletes out so Mm. on that what does high performance mindset mean to you? And what is your philosophy behind it all?
2: Your oh, a good question. I'm like, my brain's just going, Pfft. love this subject. <laughs> um, so I think, firstly, from my experience, I hate the excuse that there's no resources for women. And when it comes to mindset, it's huge. That I've experienced, it's lacking, and that, that it's not maybe it's not as important but it is that important and I feel like especially for myself reaching burnout and being having been burned out for a while there was no one to actually pinpoint it to me and instead I just kept going I just kept piling on because the more I kept training I signed up for a master's degree and I was just like building and building because like I was just like trying I was not trying to be a powerhouse I was being a powerhouse and like The more I did that, the less time I had for myself, for my performance. um, And I just got completely distracted. And it was only in lockdown last year, March-ish, I got to the question and it was really bad for me when I said it out loud. To my personal development coach I reached, I found myself and reached out to. um, And I said to her, I don't know how else to say it, so I'm just gonna say it. And I was like, I don't think my passion is my purpose. I was like, when I said it out loud, I was like, that does not sit well with me because I've given up how many years of my life to do sport, and now I'm saying I'm not enjoying it. Now I'm saying I want out. And so that's where I got really got stuck into mindset and how important it is and how the lack of it in women's sport um, is a problem, and especially an excuse like funding. It shouldn't be about funding. It should be about human being first you're a player you're a human then you're a player um and there's so many things that affect your performance that's nothing to do with your performance um so i'm working with a few people a few endurance athletes and a few like a hockey team Stellenbosch University hockey and I just feel like if I can take a person's um passions resources um all of those things and we can turn it into the greatest version of themselves and something that helps them um, and we can align all of those things, then we're going to get success. And I see it the same for teams. So yeah, like that's basically how how I've experienced it in, in the systems I've been in and the lack of it and why it's a problem and why I think it needs to change. And my idea now is to start launching leadership programs um, and things like that to, to just, It's also for coaches to upskill them to understand leadership as well, um, how to lead and how to let other people lead and how important it is um, to look after the players off the field more than on the field itself. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I view it. I just see it as a holistic approach to, to being successful because how you run your life off the field is how you're going to be on the field. And a lot of people have chaos off the field and sport is an escape and sport also allows you to escape, which is great, but it also allows you to avoid things. And when you avoid things, it blurs your vision. And the best way I can practically use an example now is like, say for instance, you're holding a book in front of your face like this, and these are your problems. Like you can't see anything in front of you or at the side of you, right? You're holding on so tightly to your problems um, and you're gripping them and you're trying to control them. So if someone throws a ball at you, what's it going to do? It's going to hit you in the face because it's a metaphorical book, obviously. Um, (laughs) So you've got these issues, you're gripping them and trying to control them and then you can't see what's happening. The next thing is what human beings try to do is like we try to to fight them. So now not only am I controlling it, my next option if that doesn't allow me to feel happy and at peace and, and perform well, now I'm trying to fight it. The more I push, the more it pushes back because it's still there. I've not dealt with it. The third option that I present is that you put it down on your lap, for instance, you put your problems on your lap. So if I throw a ball at you now, are you going to be able to catch it? Yes, probably, hopefully, Um, because you've got your hands free, right? It's on your lap. So same issues, nothing's changed. We've just created space and we've, we've created the awareness that there is a way to deal with it and still succeed at the highest level and still perform every day while I'm dealing with my issues and carrying them with me. So if I strap the, your problems to your back, if I strap this little phone to your back in a match, do you reckon you can run around and play the whole game with a strap to your, to your back? Well, yeah, it's still the same issue. It's still the same problem. We've not, we've not tried to avoid it. We've not tried to control it. We've not said to you, you need to get rid of it because that is not the way to deal with your issues then you can still perform at your highest level you can still be focused you can still get what you want out of your session out of every game we've just given you the tools to make space for it whilst getting the best out of your performance does that make sense that's how i see the mindset stuff going
0: yeah no completely it's such a huge part of sport and i think women's sport as well because we have slightly different not issues but obstacles within our careers and I think our male counterparts do uh often when we haven't got full-time contracts we've got jobs to juggle families or are we going to family plan have we got time to or that means a career break and there are so many different obstacles that I think are involved in the women's game in particular Um, and I think that is such an important part that needs to be considered
2: yeah for sure and I feel like what I want to do, what I want to make my job is to, is to allow athletes like a safe space to come and just be like, I want to have kids. I don't know how this is going to affect my, my rugby career and I don't know how to juggle that. And then I, I present the tools for you to make space for that and accept all of the, the worries and the pressure and the whatever. But I give you and I share with you the tools together that you can have your family and you can juggle that and you can make space for all of that while you're still playing premiership rugby and you're enjoying it like all at the same time. You're enjoying your family time, you're enjoying getting getting to rugby, you're enjoying playing over the weekend and you're back at work and off you go. Instead of this whole women are not supported, we know this and getting stuck in that, in that frame of mind as well, we need to get unstuck and, and find solutions and help women to cope with everything while things are still in the process of changing for women yeah I love that it's like an acceptance thing isn't it
1: because yeah as you said like in women's sport a lot of times your full-time career it's not something that you can stop but it's something that yeah it doesn't have to be a barrier if you change your approach to it
2: oh 100% like um like there's something that that I'm working on now that I want to launch called diamond leadership and like you're going to ask a question about what type of leader or leader style as well so like what I think what now what I would present is like diamond leadership is I've always been very, very much focused on people and their feelings and things until I realized I'm not Bob the builder. So I can't do all of that. You know, I can't fix everyone or everything for everyone, but what I can do is like come up with a structure because this is how I think I will function. And it basically diamonds need three things to, to be a diamond. So it needs, time it needs pressure and it needs heat and so the way in a nutshell that i present this obviously we go into a lot of depth with it but the heat is the heat of life and the heat of performance so we're going to talk about this in both sections so in life there's like so much there's trauma there's loss there's you know work academics all of it that you can think of off the field then you get on the field not only do you have to deal with that heat it's uncomfortable because now you get here, there's pressure. They're expecting things from you. You have to perform, you're hard on yourself, X, Y, Z. There's so much heat all around in your life. It's uncomfortable. But I want to get people in the mindset of while things are changing for women and while women are experiencing the heat of life and the heat of sport and performance, like that is molding us. And that is a first step of refinement for our diamond leaders in sport world. Um, And the second step would be time, um, time reveals all, and I think sometimes we pick pick leaders who we're not sure are actually good leaders, um, and I'm talking from captains to leadership groups to higher up, and, and people are not qualified for the job, or they're not really sure, um, and I think we need to spend more time figuring out what leadership characteristics people really, really have, and build from there, and I think everyone in a team, even players, have certain characteristics that of a diamond leader. So that's the time aspect, like we need that heat and we need the time um, to figure out how to go forward and still get peak performance and enjoy it at the same time because it's our passion, right? Why are are we doing it otherwise? And the third aspect would be um, pressure. So we talk about a furnace and like, if you throw metal into a furnace, all the impurities rise to the top because it's extreme heat. So performance, life, heat, like pressure and it needs time for all the impurities to rise to the top before you can scrape it off and you get this beautiful, beautiful diamond. you know what I mean? So it's like time, heat, pressure. We need to go through all of it and all of it, but we need to understand and accept that we can do all of that and it's gonna get uncomfortable. It's gonna get hot. um, It's gonna take time and athletes are very impatient in general, like injuries and everything. So it's gonna take all of that and it's gonna take extreme pressure but at the end of it we're going to have diamond leaders and none of that can happen unless we're willing to accept that all of that at the same time if that makes sense so that's the concept that i want to go forward with and i think that's what that's also what women need um like we need to understand that it is rough but we can't get stuck in that slump we need to we need to get comfortable with with that heat and and the expectations and and the pressure um and we need to figure out how we're going to juggle our lives like most women do um, until we have a way to change it.
1: Oh I love that concept that's so cool and is that something that you've like come up with from your own experiences like what is it that makes or or, yeah what is it that like ignited your passion for like performance mindset and developing leadership styles and all the stuff now that you're doing off the pitch?
2: I'm just a massive geek like (laughs) huge so it's I've always been interested in like you know, the mind and and psychology and stuff like that. Um, But I don't really like psychologists. Um, And it's not a personal thing, but like towards them, but I don't find them very useful. And they always leave you with a question, but they don't give you the tools to answer that question. And that's where I'm like, I won't answer your questions for you, but I'm going to give you the tools to figure it out. And that for me is the huge difference. And so therefore, when I did my, started doing my master's, Um, Sport performance analysis, huge geek, like loads of journals, like just soaking all of that data up, you know, trends, patterns, you know, like a proper geek. Um, But then we had an assignment that was talking about uh, the more qualitative side of it, less than quantitative. And we started speaking about women needing a, a, what do you call it, a safe environment, in sport and men need a stable environment and i got really fascinated by that and then with the mindset stuff i was like that and simon just kind of like ignited my my little fire for it and i was like that's that's where i geek out and i want to be because we need that i'm a woman i want to support women in sport i know what's lacking in our system from what i know globally it's similar things and if we can create stable and safe safe environments for women um to be vulnerable, to be able to share, to come and say, I'm having a shit day, or listen, this is what's happening. Um, I'm not focused, how can you help? But There's no one they can go to and say, how can I help? Um, like, there's no one to do that. And it, that's just essentially it. And I think we need to deliver the tools. And my way of doing it is to raise awareness, get them used to the acceptance part of things that doesn't everything doesn't have to be a burden. Like it doesn't have to be um, and we can moan as much as we want or protest as much as we want, but at the same time, let's fall forward, like get used to it, carry it with you. But how can you like learn from it while we're making progress in changing it? So it just comes from all of that, like the studies, the geeking out, um, building systems. I I don't function well in things that don't function well. So I always want to fix it. If I'm in a system that isn't efficient or functioning, I'm, I'm like, listen why is this not working where can we change it who do we need to talk to to change it so it all comes from all of that geekness I guess
0: you're a proper like a green analytical person aren't you
2: green what is that
0: green have you ever done the um it's like a Oh, I don't know what it's actually called. We've actually just done it a few weeks ago in training and you're assigned like a colour. You're you're a blue person, you're a green person, you're a red person. Like a red person is a proper fiery, competitive individual that gets shit done. Yeah. Blue is your people person that wants to make sure the team is okay. And then you've yeah. got your green little analytical thinker that's thinking of processes constantly being like, okay, how can I improve the situation? All the I time. Shoot. Yeah. <laughs> That is me. I feel like Rona and I are little blue people.
2: (laughs) You little blue people. Are you taking, like, the Smurfs taking care of the rest of the (laughs) gang? Yeah, Yeah, the yes guys. The yes man, literally. Cute. Love it. I'm going to look into that. The only thing I know about my personality is that I'm a protagonist. Like your Michelle Obama, that, you know, they kind of give you these little like um, cartoon icons who like celebrities what you like and I was like Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey.
1: That's I was goals.
0: Like, I was like, <laughs> They're pretty cool people to be associated
1: with. <laughs> I think we've answered everything that was yeah such a cool discussion so yeah thanks so much for going into so much detail about that like it's so obvious how passionate you are about it. I think we need all need a mindset coach. Yeah agreed.
2: Hey get on mind. Diamond Leadership Course. You regret
1: thing. it when we're calling you at like midnight, like.
2: Yeah, well. I'm worried. To can... be
0: fair, I kind of do that time. <laughs> <helps> so much.
2: <laughs> yeah, because like I'm now two hours in front of you guys. So like you know, when it's your nine, it's like my eleven, and I'm already snoozing. So yeah.
1: <laughs> um. Right. Quick fire questions, bonds. Oh, yep, okay.
2: Finish
0: off. Question one. Would you rather be
2: able to speak every language in the world or speak to animals? Every language in the world. I, lo- I love animals, but like, you know, every language. Absolutely.
1: I think Boder would speak to animals. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> um, okay, so would you rather have, would you rather your superpower was invisibility or like super strength?
2: Or invisibility, surely. Spy. Yeah. Or, oh, well, I would just, like, yeah, I would just listen to, like, funny conversations. They're, like, this is where I want to be. Brilliant.
0: Ronos would clearly be super strength.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I would <laughs> want
1: to the most in the world.
0: Literally. This gal, after every week, the sneaky air,
2: uh, bicep curls. Well no, us like, like, Don't want to sit in traffic today. Just start lifting the cars. But, you know. Yeah.
1: Literally. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, next question. Uh, you're on the toilet. You notice there's a tiny wee bit of toilet roll left. Are you that person that replaces it there and then or leaves it for
2: the next person? <laughs> I'm, I'm that person who looks at it and goes, I analyse it first. I'm like, I'm like do I want to? Like, how long is going to take and where is it? And then, then, then I'm the person who just does it. I just do it, just change it. Even if I'm in someone's house and I don't know where they put their toilet paper, I look around. Like, they don't see me for 10 minutes at a party because I'm like, I need to replace this toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question.
1: What is your favourite day of the week?
2: Saturdays, because I've recently found out that there's um, animal welfare adoption days on Fridays. So I go there. I want to go there.
0: Wait, sorry, you gave two days there. It's just yeah, day. I was a bit confused. but
2: Sat- uh, Saturday.
0: Friday, but on Fridays there's a welfare adoption day, I'm confused with what
2: that is. I, I meant Saturdays, because Saturdays there's animal adoption day, so you can just go and look at puppies and cuddle them, and if you want to adopt, you can, but if you just want to cuddle, you can also go.
0: Right, makes sense. Okay, that's a good good reason, well justified, I'll take it.
2: Strong. And then...
1: <laughs> Rona, you go for it. Oh, sorry, it's your turn, Bonner. I'm taking over. <laughs> um, final question, what's your star sign? Virgo.
0: Mm. You don't sound too like convicted in that. Like you need to know your <laughs> star September. September.
2: What does that mean? Does
1: that we mean? don't know.
2: Yeah, we <laughs> know about Capricious and Taurus.
1: No, Libra. <laughs> what are you? Break my heart.
2: We <laughs> only know about our star signs. <laughs>
1: Talk
2: about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I
0: don't he... even know what a Taurus is. We must, we, we must have interviewed a Taurus at some point. <laughs> <laughs> what? So
2: what is? What is it? What is yours? Main bond. Mine means that I
0: love life and colour. I'm sociable. <laughs> yes, well. They're the top two qualities. I'm
2: going to Google Virgo right now.
0: Libra, what's okay. your qualities again?
2: They're on my wall
1: for <laughs> instant referral <laughs> while we're doing the podcast. I've got romantic, fair, indecisive, diplomatic, sociable, lots of good things. I how romantic
2: was the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, here we go. Are you ready for this? We always pay attention to the smallest detail, methodological approaches. We don't leave anything to chance. That's not, that is, is so deep. Um, we like animals. That makes a lot of sense. We don't like um, asking for help. We worry a lot. We're over analytical of ourselves and others. Work, no play. I like play. I think Virgo, I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm on like the other spectrum of something else that likes to play as well
0: that kind of hits a lot of criteria you've been discussing within this podcast so i'll take that
2: yeah for sure actually very true very true it's scary i've never i don't really look at my star sign. do you like read it every week or what is it like a thing you read
1: <laughs> we
0: just like being associated with
2: it
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> my yeah we don't yeah. read our horoscopes but they form our identity
2: brilliant i love that <laughs>
1: Um, right, thank you so much for coming on the podcast so That was, yeah, so much fun Perfect, thank you so much
2: for having yeah. me We are doctors, lawyers Mothers, footballers, first minister Port laureate We're on the move and I'm telling you The glass ceiling's going. we're coming through Rise up, rise up Take the stage, play your game Don't be afraid you don't work your art, or Jones of heart. Always be proud of who you are and
0: that's a wrap for episode one thank you very much for tuning in and listening
1: just uh, another big shout out to our sponsors who have made this series possible we're so grateful to be working with such fantastic companies that are such big supporters of women's sport so that is Boob armor, who you can use Women Who Sport in capital letters to get a discount on their products. Regardless, the Mouthguard company, who you can get a discount code with WWS20. And then you can get 15% off Scrum Bum with PC 15 Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week.